Welcome to Nobody Told Me That, your source for candid business talk and stories. Your host is speaker and author Teresa Duncan. Sit back, buckle up, and hang on. Kevin, are you there? I'm here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. It's all good. Well, I have uh, Griffin, our mascot, is sound asleep next to me, and uh, he is uh, comfortable. I don't think he's going anywhere, so Griffin <laughs> is, is here to support, as always. <laughs> well, that's awesome. We talked an episode or two ago about getting our books, respective books, published. Right. And we, we ended it by saying, you know, what are the first steps you know, what What do we do if we want to have a book? And and it made me think, you know what, let's start with just an article. Because if, if you haven't written an article, writing a book is like climbing, you know, <laughs> Mount Everest. And, and here's, I'm just talking about it, here's a little hill. So let's, <laughs> let's tackle that first. Oh, great. Okay, so when you look at all the publications that are out there, there's there's so many. So let's just, let's just rattle those off, first of all, because I don't think people realize all of the publications that are out there specific for dental. So first big ones, Dental Economics, uh, Dentistry Today, Dental Products Report, Dr. Bicuspid. Uh, we're big, both big fans of Dr. Bicuspid. Yep. Chime in if you think of any others. Oh, I mean, uh, you know, there's RDH Magazine, there's Dimensions in Dental Hygiene, there's Dental Product Shopper. Yeah, I mean, the, the opportunities out there are endless, and those are really, except for Dr. Bicuspid, those are all print publications. So okay. then you're well, and, oh, Progressive what? Dentist. I'm sorry, I forgot oh. about Progressive Dentist. Of course, absolutely. Yep. You know? And that's just it. I think, you know, there seems to be new ones popping up all the time. And, uh, you know, and then the digital opportunities are available as well. You know, things that will never get into print uh, with Dentistry IQ, the Modern Dental Network, Dr. Bicuspid, like we mentioned. I mean, there's, there's a plethora of opportunities. Well, and when you become a writer, you use words like plethora, which is great. <laughs> so, <laughs> one of my one of my new favorite magazines is Do the Dental Entrepreneur Entrepreneurial Women. Ann yep. Duffy has that and, one. And um, you're right. There's a couple different ones that are that are print. So there's there's actually there's Dental Entrepreneur as well, and there's I, I'm just trying to think of all of them. And if I if we missed any of them, you know, comment, let us know because. There's so many. We I know we're missing some. I know for a fact we're missing. Oh, I'm some. sure. I have no doubt. Um, and I'm and sure. And then we'll if you think, about. yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, because we have friends that work with these magazines all the time. So Inside Dentistry is another big one that we yeah. should have mentioned right away. And then with all of the specialty industries, there's also we're not even talking about the academic journals. You're right. You know, I mean, like Jada or any of those. Right. Absolutely. You know, the AACD has its own journal. Uh, you know, even like ADOM has its own, you know, magazine. So, I mean, they're, right. yeah, absolutely, you're right. Right, and ADOM is uh, American Association of Dental Office Management, just uh, in case anybody's not familiar with it, and they have The Observer. And the Observer is, is a magazine that I have been helping out with for, God, it feels like a, a million years. Um, I'm on their editorial board. I, you know, help solicit articles, all that kind of stuff. But that's really, so that's the one that I've, I really have the most editorial as an editor experience my other experience has been as somebody I mean submitting articles for publication but you have been with a ton of publications so tell us where you've been 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so, you know, I came into the industry in 1999 from Sports Public Relations, and I was lucky enough to be hired as the editor of what was Proofs Magazine uh, by Penwell. Uh, it is no longer in existence, but uh, Proofs was like an industry magazine, and then I also was the managing editor for Dell Economics, and I did that for 13 years before shifting over to Dental Products Report as their group editorial director for three years. Uh, so... Yeah, it's, it's been amazing to see the evolution, you know, since 1999 of the publications and where things are going, you know, where we always heard, oh, the magazines are going to shrivel up and die, they're never even going to exist anymore, you know, mm. and, huh, here they are, you know, uh, they yeah. made it a little smaller and a little more condensed, but, you know, they're still alive and kicking, there's no doubt. Proofs, I, gosh, I remember that, that was a good magazine, and it's a publication that replaced it the most, I would say, would be First Impressions. Yeah, that's right. Um, is that's there right. another one out there like First Impressions? Well, you know, so Proofs, I mean, here's just a great example of how things have changed. So Proofs was in print, and then it was ceased in print, but went to Apex 360 in digital form as part of the Dentistry IQ network. You know, mm -hmm. which, again, Dentistry IQ was born while I was there at Penwell, just like the Modern Dental Network was born while I was at Dental Products Report. So, you know, everybody's trying to find that sweet spot between, okay, let's figure out print versus digital and where, how are our readers going to consume? And then, of course, you know, when I think media, you know, we're doing a podcast right now. And honestly, mm -hmm. that fits into the media world now in dentistry as well. That's true. That's true. And in and case in point is there's a there's a publication that you and I both know that um, I'm talking to about you know possibly doing a a periodical podcast with them. And so that that might be something. But that's what they're looking for now. I mean, they print print is great. Every author I think wants to have at least something in print because it's kind of cool to see your name in print. Of oh, course, absolutely. But but one of the things I've always said to people who are looking to to do more consulting and speaking is that I would go for the digital every time. Like print is nice and all that, but if I can get digital, I'm happy. I'm thrilled because I can then blast that all over my social media a lot easier than taking a picture of the print and, you know, sending it out. And it just, I don't know. I think it, I think it spreads faster. Now, now that was, I think that's kind of a mixture of how it was back in the day because you would print it would be printed and you wouldn't get your magazine for like two months, right? Like okay. wasn't there a long lead time? Yeah, you're right. I mean, when, when I was in charge of getting the editorial to get together for dental, dental economics, dental products report, I would always work two to three months ahead. So that mm -hmm. means, that your, you know, as an example, your February edition, which you had to get out before Chicago midwinter, you'd be wrapping up right before you got done with the holidays or before you, you started into the holidays. So it was always a matter of thinking ahead and trying to think about, okay, what will readers want to know two months from now, uh, which was always a little tricky. But, yeah, and yeah. That's, uh, to tell your authors about, it's like, no, you know, thanks for writing this in October, but it won't be out till January. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that, that year-end update is no good if you send it to me in November. Exactly <laughs> right. That's funny. Well, and it would be much easier if I would get it, if I would get you an article and it would publish immediately. Then I had like an immediate link to send out. But if I sent something to you for print publishing, it was like, yeah, it's great. It's going to be in print. But now i got to wait two months to tell everybody that I wrote this article. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 
so so it was really nice to get you something for one of your newsletters because I knew that that would go out a lot faster. And Doctor by Cuspid is the same way; they don't print, so it's much easier for them to get that stuff out there. It is a delicate dance because you know Tony uh, Tony Edwards, who runs Doctor by Cuspid. Uh, you know, uh, I've I've gotten him a few things working with Sika Software. You know, and and it is a, a dance for the editor because you always want to get something timely, but yet you want to make sure that you're holding on to things that you know are going to be good traffic drivers as well. So it's it's a balance between what does your audience want versus what do you think is going to be clicked upon. You know, and obviously there's a sweet spot in between that makes it perfect. And and those clicks are very important. I don't think a lot of people realize that you've got a certain number of clicks that your articles have to have, like almost like a benchmark. I remember one of the things that you were always, not complaining, because you never complain, but you were more like, I guess fretting is a good word. You were kind of fretting about it. Um, You were fretting about how many page clicks you were going to get for certain articles because you had had metrics you had to go by. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one thing that, you know, behind the curtain here, you know, so we're going to tell you that. Uh, so one thing that, you know, you, you have to think about is whenever you go on to any website, of course, there's some kind of advertising on that website. Uh, you know, I don't care whether you're on CNN, ESPN, I don't care where you are, there's advertising on there. Those advertisers buy those ads based on a certain amount of page views or clicks. And the same thing holds true in the dental industry. You know, if we got an article in and it got a thousand page views, you know, that was in back in the day, you know, and long ago, a thousand page views was kind of my, oh, okay, this really has piqued some interest here. You know, now that number has changed dramatically because more people are ingesting digital media. But it was also something that I knew that if we had a thousand page views, that probably the advertiser who was on that page was going to be happy because eventually they're going to see the same reports that I do. And so, yeah, it is a dance where you want to you want to make sure that you're giving your readers the information they want, but at the same time, you're giving the advertisers an avenue to reach the readers. And just like I wanted to see the page numbers and who was reading the articles, those advertisers do as well. Uh, so, so it, editors uh, have a have a couple of hats today. It's it's pleasing the audience, but also making sure that they're working with their sales reps to make sure that the, the income is coming in from those ads as well. So when you say a thousand page page clicks, is it so are are they looking for more nowadays or oh, less? Yes. Well, you know, I, th- I think more. Uh, you know, because now, you know, back in the thousand page view days, you know, print was still very much maybe a preferred commodity over digital. And now I think we are also used to getting on our iPhone and seeing what's going on. You know, think think about um you know, like the shooting in Las Vegas, which was horrible. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. the hur- You know, anytime a hurricane comes on shore, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that I'm sitting there watching CNN or Fox or whatever your, uh, you know, news of choice is. You know, I'm usually Googling on my phone or I'm looking at an app, uh, you know, a news app or a weather app mm-hmm. like that. You know, we're very much now trained to where it's, you know, we want to know right now. We don't want to read tomorrow's newspaper or even two months from now's dental magazine. We want to know what's going on right now. I think page views have climbed because we've become much more of a I want to know now society as well. Now, that's my opinion. No, I, I could see it. And, and I, you know, it's almost kind of sad, though, because 
back in, I can imagine back in the day, I'm talking even before us, like in the 20s, 30s, 40s, you'd get sure. the paper in the morning and you'd read the paper and then the rest of your day was spent in blissful ignorance of what was going on in the country. Right. That's kind of cool now that I think about <laughs> it. Yeah, it would actually be kind of nice to not know all of that stuff until I sit down to do the, you know, and remember our parents, the the routine at night, well, I don't know about your parents, but my parents was, you know, every night, the news, nightly news. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. It was a big thing, you know, and it was like, you know, you, Teresa, get over here and watch this with me. You need to learn, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, <laughs> and it was good. And that's, that's how it was. And now, like, there's just, there's news all the time. You could watch news all day and really just be overloaded by it. So it's kind of, I think it's kind of cool back in the day when you just it was just print. Now, what happens if and let's put let's take you back in time. Let's get back in our way back machine and you're an editor again, Kevin. So so here's my magic wand. Ta-da, you are an editor. Okay. Yay. All right. I I need to get an article published, but I have no idea how to do this. So what what do I do? All right, so let me tell you how I always used to work with authors. It was very important to me that you and I communicated with each other. You know, I, I'm all about, sure, if you want to drop me a story out of the clear blue, that's great. You know, but I would much rather work with you ahead of time because maybe an article that you're getting ready to send me, I just ran something on that in the last issue or yesterday, you know, whether if you're talking about digital. I would rather talk to you, Teresa Duncan, as an author, because I know there are two or three things that you're really passionate about and that you're really good at knowing all the, the ins and outs about, You know, which, of course, that's something I want to share with my audience. So I would rather work with you and say, okay, we just did an article on this, but what if you and I did something together on that? Do you feel comfortable writing five, 600 words for me on this? And then it doesn't waste your time. You and I are both clear on what's coming in. We know about how long it's going to be. And then I would say, hey, can you get it to me in a week? Or, you know, if it's something that, you know, just happened, can you get it to me tomorrow or the next day? You know, that way we're both in on the expectations. And I think it goes for not only a relationship with the editor, but relationship with anybody. You know, communication is such a key. And just don't be afraid to send an email before you start a project or pick up the phone and call somebody. You know, I never mind to talk to anybody on the phone. It takes probably five minutes to make this happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and it really is just something about what can we work on together, what your expertise is, what kind of deadlines the editor is on, and how you can help with that, and then how long the article needs to be. Those are the four key questions. And if you can work together on that, it doesn't take that long, and then you both hang up the phone going, all right, I've got a plan. And I guarantee you, as the editor, I would scribble down, okay, Teresa's going to get me this by next Friday. And I would start putting that into my editorial planning. So I think it's really important. Just don't assume, ask. When you say plan... I'm assuming that you are putting it into a calendar. Yep. You kind of count on that article landing. What, in your experience, was the actual percentage of people who followed through on and, their articles? You know, probably nine, eight or nine out of ten. I, I would, okay. and, and if you were one or that one or two, you and I didn't work together anymore, just to be blunt and honest with you, because mm-hmm. unless you had a death in the family or something very horrific happen, you didn't come through on what you told me you were going to do. And I was counting on that. 
So, yeah, you know, it's it, I really was not a three strikes and you're out guy. For me, it was one strike. Uh, but you also learn very quickly the people who you can depend on and the people you can count on. And once mm-hmm. you earn an editor's trust, that's invaluable. I, I really think that you need to think about don't overpromise and under underdeliver because it will it will end up biting you. I promise. Or or moving the goalposts and and what I mean by that is is when I was um, you know as collecting articles for the Observer, somebody will say, I can write you this article. It'll be about about this. It'll be this many words. And then three days before the deadline, oh, I decided to go in a different direction. Yeah, not cool. And yeah. <laughs> It's really not cool, um, <laughs> and, and and you know, and you like you said, there's like a one strike thing, and so you kind of go, uh, you know, all right, send it in, let's see how it is, and usually it's fine, but it's not at all what I was talking about. And if you can't all of a sudden decide you're going to do a series, you you need to check with right. me on that, right? Because our publication gap. Now you are more regular with your publications. The Observer comes out two to three times a year, so writing a series is pretty. I mean, by the time somebody reads the second one they're like what the heck was the first one about so it it just doesn't work right so moving the goalposts is something that i i definitely recommend against you wouldn't want any if you know if you're a consultant you wouldn't want your clients changing the game on you halfway through things you know and i think it's just one of those put put yourself in that other person's shoes and just think about is this going to be a problem you know you may go it's no big deal but whenever you you know i'm very deadline driven and I, my editorial calendar was my Bible. You know, I counted on these things coming in and that they were going to go on these pages for my readers to, to read. And if they didn't come in, that's a hole that suddenly I have to scramble to fill. And you just mm-hmm. made my life more stressful. And that's not cool. Talk to me about this editorial calendar. Yeah. There may be people who have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. All right, so so in its simplest form, let's say back in the day for dental economics, okay, let's say that we had at one point there were 22 columns and seven or eight features in every issue. The 22 columns would stick mostly, you know, uh, you'd have those in every issue, and then depending on the size of the magazine, you might have seven features one time, you might have ten features one time. I counted on those 22 columns coming in, each at one page, and each going in a certain spot in the magazine. And I counted on the features to be more flexible, where, you know, if you think about the proverbial uh, rocks, sand, water analogy, you know, what you pour into a a glass jar or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, your your columns were your rocks, because you you knew where there was going to be, you knew what their size were going to be, and then depending on the size of the jar, you could put as many pebbles or sand in there as you want with the features. And these, these editorial calendars were made up, you know, months in advance. Let's say it's the October issue. I would want something in there on the fourth quarter and how to, how, how to end the season, or sorry, how to end the year in the best way possible. I might ask Teresa to write that article for me in June. The editorial calendar, just think about any way that you would kind of, some people have their daily planner, some people have their calendar on their phone, you know, whatever it is that you really live by to know, okay, this is what's happening here, that's what the editorial calendar was to me. Some magazines don't necessarily have this because they're more they're more loosely structured, I think especially the digital, some of the oh, yeah. smaller digital outlets outlets but yeah a, a big one like dental economics and dental products report that they definitely have these calendars and there you also have some of these publications that have I guess the best word would be a theme for the issue so like one month would be CAD cam 
Yep. One month would be cosmetic dentistry. And from a sales point of view, and I'm getting this from different editors that I've worked with, from a sales point of view, your sales team had to sell the ads based on, you know, like they would go to, say, Dentsply and say, okay, we've got a cat cam issue. This is the issue you want to be in. Is that about right? No, you're dead on. And it it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Let's say that the CAD CAM issue is February. Mm -hmm. If all of a sudden you send me a CAD CAM article and it's past the February deadline, I'm not going to put that in the March issue. You know, because we just talked about CAD CAM. We just hit it hard. So it may be May or June before I feel like my readers want to read about CAD CAM again. So, again, it goes back to communication. Talk to me. Most people are more than happy to share. If they have an editorial calendar, they're more than happy to share it with you. A lot of them you can actually find online if you want to go searching for what the editorial calendar is, you know, and you can see what's coming up. It's kind of a little, you know, like a movie trailer. Uh, you can see what's yeah. coming up in future. And that was always my, like, secret weapon, so I'm just putting it out there. This is the sneaky Pete thing to do, but you would <laughs> go over to the sponsorship side of the website of Dental Economics or Advanced Star or whatever, yep. and you'd go to the sponsorship and you go to the sales page and they would have on there, I mean, it's buried, but they would have in there the editorial calendar. And more than once, Kevin, I've hit you up with, you know, hey, I see editorial calendar. You've got this coming up. How about slating me in? And I think that's that I, as an editor, I would hope that that shows I've got some initiative and I'm going to, you know, contribute it does. and all of that. You know, and, and while you and I are great friends, and my God, we have spent more time on the road together than, you know, two humans should, you know, <laughs> you, you and I also trust each other. And, and mm-hmm. I trust that if you reach out to me and say, I can get this to you by this date on this topic, I don't lose any amount of sleep over that because I know you're, you're trustworthy and you, you live up to your word. Thank you. And I, I did not appreciate that until I became the person who had to gather articles for the observer. I did not appreciate that side of what you had to deal with. And I totally, I think I even said that to you a long time ago, like, holy crap, how do you deal with these authors? They suck. And, you know, (laughs) but I mean, to be fair, most of them are, most of them make the deadline almost like you said, eight, you know, eight, nine out of 10, but it's that one. It's that one that drives you crazy. It only takes one to ruin it and and to really, Oh, throw things into a tizzy. Uh, absolutely. Well, don't, don't be that one. I'm begging you. Yes. If you're listening to this, don't be that one. Yep. And so, you know, going back to the theme of this podcast, don't say nobody told you not to turn it in on time. You got to turn stuff in on time. You got to stick to the program. You know, the four those four key, key questions you were talking about. That's that's phenomenal. So, but what happens if you've got somebody who is really good at all of that? They they give it every everything is perfect. They're following all the rules. Yeah. You open up their Word document and and it's a it's a mess. What do you do? <laughs> well. What do so- you, so my my belief was this. I and you know, for those of you who don't know me, I never worked a day in, in a dental practice. I have never put on the gloves, I have never done anything in a dental practice. God bless all of you who do. You know, I got my master's degree in journalism. So I always looked at it as journalism is my strength and working in a dental practice is your strength. And so let's find somewhere that those two come together. So, yeah, if you sent me something and it was not the world's most perfectly written article, I honestly didn't expect that. I kind of expected that that was my job to help clean up whatever you brought to me. As long as I could understand it and understand the core concept, 
I don't mind editing an article, and then I would always send it back to you and say, just so you know, this is what's going in publication, because the last thing I want to do is change Teresa's words, you know, into something mm-hmm. that she's saying. I always considered that part of my job is, you know, yes, I would love a perfectly written article, but that's not reality. And so I knew whenever I asked somebody for an article that it was going to take a little bit of editing work on my part or my team's part to make it actually a reality. And have you had to ever send something back because it was so much of a a train wreck? Because I have. I have, and it was awful. Oh, no, no, no. You know, a mutual friend of ours, and I'm not going to mention her name on here, but there are things I'm just like, I don't know know what you're saying right here. I honestly (laughs) don't. Uh, Help me with this. Uh, You know, and and I'm going to say, if you're an author, don't take offense at that. I'm not calling you silly or stupid or anything else. I just want to make sure that I actually understand what you're saying and we're both on the same page. You know, again, it goes back to that communication side of things. So, you know, and and Tony Edwards, uh, you know, perfect example adopted by Cuspid. I've written countless articles, but he still sends me back times of things and says, now, what are you saying here? Where where are you trying to go with this? (laughs) I love it. That's all right. You know, I I don't take offense to it. I would rather him ask than assume. Uh, You know, so I'm good with that. I've very gently sent one back with a suggestion to hire an editor. (laughs) And, I mean, for me to have rewritten, it would have been a total rewrite. I mean, there's just no other way around it. Friend Bonnie Hickson over at the uh, Progressive Dentist, she, her and I have talked about this before, and and she used to do a lot of markup on, on authors and I think she, when she got really, really busy, she was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't handhold anymore. So she's, she also will send it back to them. And, and actually, she's the one when we were talking about it, I was like, oh, I did not know that I could send it back to them. <laughs> like, I didn't know that was allowed. And, and so that, that was a great relief to be able um, to do that because it, it really is unbelievable what some of the top names have sent over. And, and they're not... They're not that great of writing. But but then on the other side of that, you've got people who send you articles that I know I read 10 years ago. What do you do with those? And I have no issue with recycling content if it's still applicable, but what do you do with that when somebody yeah, clearly so, just giving you an article so this, from before? So this is, this is something very important. Uh, and it's the fact that we do as editors – we will take a random part of your article and actually put it into Google to see if it pops up. Mm-hmm. I have had articles show up before that were written by other people. Mm-hmm. I have had articles show up that were written in other publications. I have actually received a letter from Time Life uh, with a cease and desist because one of our uh, authors copied a letter directly from Money Magazine. Oh, for crying uh, and, out loud. And and you might laugh and go, that never happens. Yeah, actually it does. And we as editors, not just our job to make sure that you sound good and that our readers are getting what they want, it's also to protect our brands. Because let me just say this. If you're an author and you submit the same article to like five different publications just to see which one's mm-hmm. going to run it first, that's not cool. Because mm-hmm. I have had articles run at the same time as DPR or Dentistry Today. And it makes all of us look bad, and your name is immediately mud to all of us. So, so what's the protocol then? Do I send it to five, or do I send it no. to you know, the like I said, reach one out, or two? 
reach out to that, that editor. You know, if, if you're doing a practice management article, you absolutely should send it to dental economics. If you're doing a clinical article, send it to dentistry today. You know, if you're doing a product-driven article, I mean, you know, use your common sense. Think about which mm -hmm. one is the best fit for my, my article and which audience am I really looking. You know, if you're trying to be the, the guy who shows the bloodiest implant photos ever, that's not dental economics. It's just not. So just use a little bit of that common sense. And, you know, so many of you who are listening to this read publications. You know, you know, you get a feel for which ones are which. I would say have your first, second, third choice and start with your first choice. Reach out to that editor and say, hey, are you interested in this? And if he or she doesn't respond back to you or he or she rejects it, move on to the second one. You know, but don't uh, don't just uh, blast it out. What's the protocol if I send maybe if I float it to you and I float it to Tony Edwards? Yeah. What's the protocol if Tony goes to print with it first? And do I am I supposed to notify you? Yeah. Like what what do I do there? Absolutely. Yeah, I I depend on you to do that uh, because okay. I first of all, if if like let's say I'm back at Dental Economics and Tony's still a doctor by cuspid and Tony's getting ready to run with an article, I probably don't have any idea that you've already sent it to Tony as well. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's up to you then as the author to reach back out and say, hey, I'm going to withdraw that article from you because Tony's going to run it at uh, Dr. By Cuspid. And I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to slam the phone down. I'm not going to call you different <laughs> names and say you're never writing for me again. You know, that's business, and that's okay. You know, I, I, I would you, you rather you communicate with me than for me to be completely embarrassed in a couple of months. So what happens if somebody writes this, like, the most perfect article in the world, and wow. it goes into your publication? Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, I, it's uh, a beautiful I'm thing. Married, so, you know, that that's out. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, what happens if they write it and they're like, you know, I, I hate that it's just in one place. Can I repurpose this? Uh, what okay. what are the what's the repurposing faux pas well, that you see? It it's gotten a lot more stringent than it used to because you know you have to remember and and I'll use my years as DPR as an example with this one. What we would do is that we would print an article in DPR and then you know once I knew like let's say it's a February issue. If I knew Valentine's Day or the middle of the month had already passed and most people already had the off the issue in their hands, then I would put the February issue up online. So then you could see all the articles from the February issue online, or you could read them in print, you know, again, depending on which way that you would rather consume your news and your information. I'll give you both. With that, I can't really say, yes, you can reprint this on your blog as well, because then Google's going to see the exact same thing on two different sites. And eventually, it penalizes both of us for using duplicate data or your duplicate content. Mm. What I would usually do if Teresa came to me and said, hey, do you mind if I reprint that? I would say, how about if you reprint the first paragraph or the first few sentences and then say, click here to read the rest on Dental Products Report? Because then, you know, you're, you and I are working together. I'm still getting that page view that we talked about earlier as far as my advertiser needs. You know, but and you're also saying, you know, this was previously published in DPR, and hopefully that's a little bit of a feather in your cap as well. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, and, and then link, linking to that site from my own site is good for me Google-wise yeah. as well. Absolutely. So yeah. it's a win-win. Yep. 
you know, I never minded working with somebody like that. And for the most part, authors didn't have a problem with that. And, and they got it once you kind of explained it to them. Now, there were some that we, again, had to send a cease and desist letter to because if you sign an author agreement, you really need to read it before you sign it because most of the time the article that you're giving to a publication becomes that publication's property. Even if you wrote it, it's their property now because you are an author for them. And so they can say to you to take down your own article off your own site because it's their property now. Another thing I always encourage you, get an author agreement, read through it, and if it you don't like it, you don't think it's worth it to you, then don't sign it and don't send your article in. You know, that's your right and your prerogative. But just know what you're getting into. It's like buying a house, you know. I mean, there's things you have to read and, and make sure that you, you know all the details where you really ink that contract. Well, and, and about, you know, 15, 20 years ago, there were only a couple magazines in town. So if you got rejected from Dental Economics, it was like, oh, my gosh, the world is ending, you know. <laughs> but now, and no disrespect to, to Salierno, Chris, or, you know, Chris and the gang, but there's a million other oh, absolutely. articles out there. So I'm not looking for, from, a, from an author point of view, from a speaker point of view, I'm not looking to write an article and have it become a Pulitzer Prize article. I don't, that's not what I'm looking for. When I write an article, it's for two purposes. One is to educate and inform. And the second is to use it as publicity because that's, that's what this is. You know, I get the message out. It's good content for my readers. And I can use that to reach more people by getting booked more, by getting, you know, more gigs because it's establishing me as an authority in the industry. And that, that's why people write. Now, if people are writing because they truly love it and and you know that's that's different that's that's the few and far betweens most people write about what they're passionate about but they do it because they've got you know they've got a business to run they've got a sure. message to get out there which kind of i i embrace it right away most of my friends embrace it we say yes what we do is wonderful what we educate how we educate that's great but we still have to bring money home to put food on the table i got a kid to put through college we're all very open about this but there are people that are not very open about that. And what I mean by that is that there's a there's people who are not people, but there's there's a, there was an industry, I guess under there's an industry undercurrent that a lot of people don't like to talk about, but we we need to tackle it because you as authors need to understand the role of advertising in publications. Now, Kevin already mentioned it and and you know, we're not looking to dog anybody out, but basically there is there's a huge role of advertising in publications and sure. and as a reader you should know it as an author you should also understand that any article like for example when i would submit an article to uh, acme publications and it was all about implants back when i used to write a lot on implants mm-hmm. it was about implants i never knew that the ad space uh, directly opposite from my article or if it was digital, the ads sold on my article were would be all implant-based ads. That's a significant amount of revenue that the magazine was getting. And it was because I wrote an article. And I, of course, this is the, the part that a lot of people don't like. We as authors don't get paid hardly ever for writing. Like if you can, If you can land a paid gig, that's awesome. Go with it. But for the most part, there aren't a lot of paid gigs in, in writing. I used to not get so mad about it because business is business, but I've heard quite a few 
other consultants that are like, oh my gosh, and they sold, it's just nothing but ads on my article. And the article, I don't even like that company. And this, there's an ad across from my article that's for a company I don't even like. And we had no control over that. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know sure. you've had a, you've had a lot of run-ins with this. Yeah. You know, one thing that I always tried to explain to authors was this. That, yeah, you know, we talked about earlier about there's a cat cam issue coming up. I would always try to explain that I didn't want the article to be, and forgive the term, I didn't want it to be whorish. I really didn't. Mm -hmm. I did not want you trying to determine which advertisers were going to come in. I wanted it to be very generic because not only then are you not influencing my readers, but it's also better for all ad sales. I mean, let's be honest here. There, there's a balance that, that has to exist. I explained it this way one time to, to a friend of mine. I said, you know, if you think about uh, a TV show, I mean, let's just say This Is Us or one of the big ones that's on right now. There are advertisers that are specifically paying to be on while you're watching This Is Us. Mm-hmm. Because they know it's going to reach a certain demographic, and that you know they want to get a message across. The same thing holds true with every dental magazine or every magazine as whole. They know there's a certain demographic that they're reaching, especially with an article within that magazine. If it's CAD CAM, if it's implants, if it's you know cone beam, whatever it might be, there's a certain group of advertisers that are going to be interested in that demographic in that magazine. And so, yes, as an editor, again. I want nothing more than to get every bit of information out to my readers that I can. However, I have to do it as generic as possible. And I will say this, I had a lot of times that a company would come to me and say, well, will you publish this article? And it was just horrific. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was all about how great their product was. And there, that was the, the whole gist of the article is if you're not practicing with XYZ product, you're not practicing good enough. And I am not a fan of pay-for-play. I don't believe that articles should be slanted like that. I believe that readers are smarter than that. And I believe it does magazines a disservice whenever you read an article and at the end you go, that was a complete sales pitch. And I just wasted 10 minutes of my day on that. And I think readers resent that. Well, and, And there are companies that will ask authors to write for them. To be clear, you can... You can write for them and not be a whore. I mean, let's be honest. Sure. I, I like that you're using that word because it is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, so I've written tons of articles for Care Credit and Solution, not Solution Reach actually lately, but um, like When Mind Health when they were in business. And yeah. and I it was all about the process and how to help the patient. But there was a Care Credit component or perhaps there was a, um, it was brought to you by Care Credit, is what it was. It wasn't openly talking about Care Credit, but I know what you're talking about. There are articles that you know we've seen in certain publications where it's you know it's almost it's an advertorial, is what it, oh, is. it is. They just it, they don't call it that. Yeah, yeah, and and it 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 does nobody any good because the reader at the end then feels slighted. It's bad mm-hmm. for the magazine, and I guarantee you the reader doesn't go, oh, my gosh, maybe I should be XYZ product-driven. <laughs> you know, I, I know of nobody who's ever thought that from reading an advertorial. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, so I, my job as an editor, and I always believed, was to provide the, the most unbiased information possible. 
if there's three or four companies that are in that product space, then maybe they're mentioned in there, maybe they're not. But at the end of the day, it's up to each reader to decide what product is better for them. That's not my job. But there is a, I don't want to call it an evil, it's not a necessary evil, because I don't think marketing is evil so much. I really don't. I actually... Sometimes I like seeing new ads because I, I'm not in the office as much anymore and I like to see what's new. So I, I don't mind advertising as much as a lot of people do. But there are people who are like, why do I have to see all these ads? But the 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 truth of the matter is ads, advertising, marketing, that's what helps bring all this stuff to right. us. I mean, TV, you know, the magazine, you know what I mean? Trade shows wouldn't exist without the exhibit hall. Magazines wouldn't exist without the advertisers. I mean, it's that simple. I'd love to watch my on-demand This Is Us or Designated Survivor or whatever my show of the night is, but you know what? The ads are still on there. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I have to realize that's how Kiefer Sutherland gets paid eventually, is that people are advertising against his show. Hey, God bless a- Kiefer Sutherland. What's that? God bless Kiefer Sutherland. I love that guy. I'm telling you what, he's a great president. There's just no doubt. If you don't watch Designated Survivor, I'm telling you, I love it. So anyway, there's well, And This Is Us. This Is Us is like, oh. it kills me to watch it. just want it to continue. When it ends every week, I'm like, no. Yeah. No, you know, we, we caught up on the first two episodes of this season, and the second one ended last night. Dana and I both looked at each other like, wait, that's the end of it? Because, I mean, <laughs> we were not at all ready for it to be over here, exactly. I know. It's actually, it's, it's like traumatizing. So I'm like, no, I need to know what happened. Like, what, like the dad, what's going on with the dad? So, but, and yeah, let's not get into that because I'll, I'll distress myself. <laughs> I know that we've, we've been talking about this for a little bit, but let's, let's start the wrap-up. Let's start the descent. Let's right. do this. Give me a, a, one or two things that editors absolutely hate when they see or it, you know when they get an email what are some things in the email that you're like come on really I, I like for people to be confident not cocky you know don't okay. don't drop me an email and tell me you're and, and I've had this happen you're not going to find anybody else who can talk about this subject other than me uh, yeah I probably can I hate to tell you you know uh, <laughs> Now, so, so confident, not cocky, and I am also a, a huge fan of, you know, like I've said, don't, don't assume. Don't send me something and then get mad whenever I say I can't use it. You know, if we haven't talked about it, then there should be no expectations from you that I either will or won't use it. Let's talk ahead of time. You know, I always used to say, let's build the skeleton together and then let's put the meat on the bones. You know, I, I've told countless authors that, but that's the way that I always worked best as an editor, and I think that it, it helps authors not waste their time. Well, but I wrote this miniature ebook on a topic that no one else is going to be able to talk about. I mean, yeah. how dare you reject my article? Oh, God forbid. <laughs> I know. And then, and then the last thing I'll throw out there is if, if I ask you for a 700-word article and you give me 2,500 words, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, you, I mean give me 700 you know one of the two yeah are you even set up to do like six point font like is that even <laughs> possible because you because people don't understand we have space you have space and and you can't go over that space because then it affects the total layout of the magazine and if you go over one or two pages that's a ton of money extra isn't it like what's the cost okay. involved with so, that well another thing that you okay so this is getting real journalist technical so forgive me for just a minute but most folios which are what the what the how the magazine lays out okay usually you build them in either four or eight page increment i would say okay it's going to be a 132 page issue so i would plan for enough to fill 
55% of that 132-page issue because I always liked a 55% edit ratio to a 45% ad ratio. Now, this is getting really minute, but it's something... No, I love this. This is what you should be talking about. (laughs) These are are behind-the-scenes things of of how we build magazines, is that you know that it may be a 132-page issue, but half of those those pages, roughly, are going to be ads. So really, I've got about, what, 65 pages to work with, maybe? Mm-hmm. And if I've got 22 one-page columns, well, there's 43 pages I've now got to work with. And so I need to find what are going to fill those 43 pages. And maybe it's a jigsaw puzzle, but it's one that I always felt very comfortable doing because I've done it since junior high. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not just a snap decision. Well, let's make it smaller or let's make it bigger you have to weigh in the ad edit ratio and you have to weigh in how many ads you have and then if you make it bigger you know then that's going to skew your ad edit ratio completely so yeah it, it's a it's a very interesting mathematical equation trying to get each issue out and have it kind of fit in this certain little bubble that we like to have the deep dive aside uh, the other two points that you yeah. um, brought up is is pretty much my same complaints from when I was working with the observer but that's fascinating with the I, I love all that stuff you know knowing the the ad uh, editorial ratio yeah. you know a lot of people don't realize that that's even a thing the other thing that I, I would I would say the one one email I would always cringe when I got was, you know, I would say, hey, are you interested in in writing an article? You talked to me when I last saw you about writing an article. Are you still interested? And I would get back this email that said, sure, what do you want it on? And and I just, you know, just the urge to delete is so strong because (laughs) because I shouldn't tell you what you're good at. Like, honestly, you know, you should have an idea. So how about sending me an email that says I can write on ABC, what would you prefer? And you can tell who has done this before because that's how they write back to you. So newbie authors, you know, just, uh, you know, nobody told you that, but I'm going to tell you that. When somebody says, you know, I'd love to have you write for the publication, your next response is not, what do you need? Because it's not about necessarily what, what I need. It's about what you can bring to the, to the readers. So that was, that's a hard thing to hear because it's such an easy thing to, yeah, you know, to correct. And it goes back to the confidence thing. Don't be afraid to tell me what you're very passionate about or what you're very knowledgeable about. You know, because, mm-hmm. okay, if I know that Teresa knows her insurance stuff, Great. But if I go back to Teresa and I say, hey, will you do me a clinical article? You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's probably not in Teresa's wheelhouse. So I would rather know what you're comfortable with ahead of time because then that saves us a whole lot of back and forth, honestly. And the other thing, this is a small a small thing, but I, it makes life so much better for people that you work with. And this is also from a meeting planner point of view. When you send someone an attachment, this is so ridiculously detailed, but I don't care. It bothers me. <laughs> when you send somebody an attachment, please don't title it Doc 1. Oh, um, yeah. Cause yeah. that's the default, you know, for, for Microsoft title it, be very explicit with your titles, you know, Duncan deductibles and maximums, just be specific with it because as a, as an, editor, when I'm looking for something as a meeting planner, when I'm looking for your material, I'm not going to search for Doc 1, it, you know, for Jane Smith. I'm going to search for Jane Smith and whatever comes up. So, so title your documents, you know, like Teresa Duncan, deductibles, maximums, Dr. Bicuspid. 
and you know June 2017 whatever you know so so be specific with that and if you send me your picture for you know for speaking make sure it says Kevin Henry not you know KH promo blah 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 <laughs> you know or whatever the default is that the photographer sent to you so it's just to me it's little things like that that show the professionalism and the experience of that particular person. Very small things for me to be upset about, but you know, you know how some things just just get to you. <laughs> if, if there are things that you can do as an author to make an editor's job easier, he or she will remember that and thank you. I guarantee you. It's true. It's true. And also that you will become their go-to person. Uh, if I need something real quick for Adam's Insights or for my newsletter, and I, you know, maybe need an article, uh, there's there's about five people I know who are good, talented writers and can turn it out real quick. You know, I know you had your go-to people as sure. well, and and that, you know, that gets you even more exposure. And and also you become the person that somebody like Kevin or Tony or Bill over at First Impressions will pick up the phone and call and say, I need a quick quote. I need you to write up a quick blurb. What do you think about this? You're going to then become this go-to and your name is going to be more and more seen around. So there is a there's a real benefit to being professional, I, I think. I think, I mean, that's what that's what you do it for, right? Oh, absolutely. I agree completely. Now, let's talk about what some of the things you you love. For me, getting an attachment that's properly labeled, obviously. And for me, what I used to love seeing was an article that came in, met met the requirements, was well written. But I also came to appreciate people who could title their articles well. Because that's that's not easy to do. So when somebody sent me an article and it was titled correctly, that meant I didn't have to put in the effort and come up with the title myself. Because that's that's what happens a lot. Is I'll get an article and some and somebody will say to me in the email, I really don't know what to title it. Can you come up with something? And I'm like, really? So <laughs> has that ever? Have you ever had that that issue? Yeah, you know, I, t- titles are tough. Uh, you know, and. Yeah, I, I have had that issue. And, and again, I try to work with authors as best I can because I have had authors come back to me and say, well, you know, it'll appear in print. Well, I didn't like the way that it looked. I didn't like the layout. I didn't like the picture that it went with. I didn't like the title. You know, and things are such personal preference for all of us. You know, I, I know a, an author who never liked the color red because he always told me that that represented blood and I shouldn't use that in a dental economics article. Okay, you know, and again, that's that's your perception, not mine. You know, so yeah, I think that goes back to just be flexible, be willing to talk about it. Now, if the picture makes no sense whatsoever, again, just have a conversation and say, okay, I'm just curious, why was this picked? You know, just tell me no in case people ask me. You know, just things like that. Now, when do they get a chance to see it, though? So, I, I, and I'm asking because people don't realize about the galley layout and all of that. Can you... You want to talk about that real quick? So you should, there are things that you should expect from every editor. And number one is a a reply to your email or your phone call. That's number one, uh, whenever you first contact them. I think that that's common human decency is to answer or return a phone call. Number two, I think you deserve to see your article before it goes to print. You know, whether that's in Word document or whether it's in final galley, final layout, because I, the last thing I want is for Teresa to come back to me and say, I didn't say that. You know, you changed my article and that's not what I meant. You know, those are the worst words you can hear as an editor. 
because that's on you. You know, again, we've talked about communication a lot, and part of that communication is I want you to see it before it goes to print so that you're happy with it and you know what to expect. And you know that whenever it comes out in the pages that you're going to be proud of it. To me, that's like crossing the marathon finish line, is that you're happy with the article and you actually want to work with me again. You know, it, it really is a two-way street. There are authors who are pains and authors who you love to deal with, and the same can go true with publications. I mean, I know that. I always wanted to be one of those guys that I was easy to work with, just like I hope my authors were as well. And the, the galley layout is, it's the article actually laid out with all sorts of markings on the side because you've yep. got print area and all of that. But sure. what I used to, I always ask for the galley layout or just the layout before it goes to print because I, having, you know, the name Teresa, a lot of people put an age in the name. And I, yep. I can't tell you, I would say more often than not, there's a mistake in the galley article. I, almost I, more often than not, it's very rare when it, there's nothing there. Either they don't have, you know, the MS there or the, you know, there's the ages in there or they have a bio that they pulled from a previous article three years ago that's not accurate so as an author that's also on you to make sure they have the most current information so when I when I submit an article over to Kevin or Tony or whomever there's a couple things that I put directly into that word document and and it's always the the most current bio because otherwise they're going to use what they have on file it's on you as an author to put that current bio in there and I also make sure that they have um, a link or a link to the picture I'd like them to use or you know I I can tell them to use whatever's on file because if I don't have a picture and, and I saw this at ADOM all the time we'd get tons of articles and now we actually require them to submit a picture with their article but we used to get an article and you know they would not return my email when I'm asking them for a current picture or the picture is like 20 years old for crying out loud that's a whole different topic oh, yeah. but if I have to google to find your picture I'm going to find the first one that comes up I'm not going to necessarily care if it's the most flattering I need to submit this you know you be in control of that it's your and it's, it's it's a piece of your marketing, so please, you know, be in control of that. When you give them a deadline, you are also building some time around that deadline, right? And it, and why why do you build time around that deadline? Because I know that there are going to be people who, you know, maybe don't hit that deadline. You know, I, and, and it's unfortunate. And and don't ever assume that somebody's doing that. But I always used to build in a little bit of extra cushion because. I am not a person who enjoys panic at the last minute. I would rather have it <laughs> ahead of time. And so I'm hoping that my authors, if I say June 1st, that it's not June 8th. And again, if it is June 8th, I remember that about you. You know, I really do. I want to build in enough time that my team and I aren't stressing out whenever it's time to send things to the printer because there may be some flexibility with a written piece deadline, there is not whenever you have to get things that's a printer because a lot of times they have other magazines they're printing and if you miss your turn, well, they'll get you in whenever they can, but it's not going to be any It's not a suggested timeline when they give you a deadline. It's not a suggestion. It's not like a, a guidepost, like, please stick to that deadline. And if you can get in earlier, that's even better because chances are there are going to be rewrites. I mean, what's, what's the percentage of, of articles that need some sort of tweak? Oh, well, does that include just standard editing? Or, yeah, or, yeah. I mean, like, oh, it's never, like, probably I guess, oh, okay. I was going to say, what's the, how many articles actually sail through your inbox and it's perfect? I mean, well, it's, you know, and, and don't forget, I would always look them over first just to make sure that they weren't, 
completely uh, off topic, but mm-hmm. I always had two editors work on each article. So by the time that your article actually made it to print, three of my team members have touched it, including me. And again, that's to try to ensure the fewest amount of errors as possible and to ensure proper English and you know catch each other. Tell me then what you love, because I, I kind of hijacked that and went in my direction. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so what do you love seeing in an article? You know, the biggest thing, uh, what I love is I just love that there's no trouble between you and I. I mean, it's a very easy process. You answer my questions in a timely manner. You give me what I need on deadline. You know, I mean, stuff that seems like common sense, but you and I both know it's not common sense. Just, just do everything you can, you know, just like you would like for one of your patients or one of your clients not to be a royal pain. Don't be that person either because that's on the world line as well, you know, bottom line. That's a pretty good life lesson, right? Don't be a royal pain. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Just be a decent human being. Be one who's considered <laughs> others. You know, I mean, just the stuff that we were all raised to supposedly be along the way. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody told me that. Nobody told me to just be decent. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> oh lordy, lordy. All right. If somebody is looking to submit an article then uh, we recommend that they reach out to not us because <laughs> we're not publishing no. but reach out to go go to the different websites of these different publications and check out the editor you know find the editor you can almost always find their email address if not look them up on LinkedIn and connect with them through LinkedIn and, and start the conversation one thing to remember about editors is that they get emails from people they don't know all the time. If you are wondering, well, it's going to be really weird for me to just email them out of the blue and say, I want to be in your publication. No, that's pretty much just Monday, right? Like, isn't that the way? Think about all the emails that come in, you know, to your e-box, you know, on a daily basis. And like you said, document one, you know, I mean, all the little things help me put together the pieces. I meet a lot of people at trade shows and I'm not the best at names or faces. I'm sorry. I'm just not. You know, but if you say, hey, it was great meeting you at this reception, and I love talking to you about this, and I look forward to working with you. Oh, that's who you are. Yes, now I remember. You know, I mean, just little things like that. So just start the conversation. That's it. Just start Absolutely. the conversation. Because uh, it, it is easier today to be published than it was 20 years ago. Yep. Much easier. That little thrill that you get when you read your name as a byline, I mean, it's real. So if any of, if there are any would-be authors out there, there is absolutely no reason for you to, to put it off because they're even looking for, what, 500 word right. submissions. I mean, I think even Adon, they have a process where you can submit your article, and it's, I mean, some of the articles that come through are, you know, 500, 600 words. That's yep. it. I'm, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Absolutely. You know, I believe the minimum for Google to find it and use it for SEO purposes, I believe is, I've seen 300 words and I've seen 400 words. So I would always tell an author the the shortest amount of an article that I will ever print is 500 words. Because then I know for sure that it probably has some good information in there as well as that whenever I put it online, Google can find it as well. Perfect. All right. Well, hopefully this information has helped. You now know a little bit more about the publishing industry than you did before because that's our goal is to kind of pull back the curtain on so many parts of this industry and let you see what's going on. Uh, Kevin, thank you for your time today. Appreciate it very much. Always love chatting with you, my friend. And we will be back for another episode of Nobody Told Me That. 
Subscribe to this podcast so you'll get our next candid discussion. Visit Teresa's website, odysseymgmt.com. That's odysseymgmt.com for more information on Teresa's courses, books, and speaking schedule. Subscribe to her newsletter while you're there. Don't say we didn't tell you that.